0: Well hello there, welcome back to Fabulous Folklore with Icy, if this is indeed a return visit. If it's not, welcome. Hope you're doing well. In this episode, we're going to continue the theme that was started last week, which is the idea of the King in the Mountain story trope. In this particular episode, I've decided to focus on a specific King in the Mountain, or in this case, under a castle. We're going to look at King Arthur, of all people. And he continues to hold a fascination for both folklorists and the public alike. And I mean, if you think about it, it's hardly surprising. His deeds are legendary and they have become part of Britain's mythology. Now, one of my favourite versions of the Arthurian legends was the series that Channel 4 did. I mean, this must have been about 2001-ish because I watched it during sixth form. And it was called Merlin and you can still buy it on DVD on Amazon and Sam Neill played Merlin, Miranda Richardson was Queen Mab, Isabella Rossellini played Nimue, Morgan Lefebvre was played by Helena Bonham Carter, Martin Short was in it, Rutger Hauer was in it, It had a really good cast and it's just class. Incidentally Arthur's not necessarily that important to the narrative but definitely well worth the watch. But I digress. The reason why we're having a look at Arthur though is because of this idea of the king in the in the mountain motif. So picture it this way, you've got the legendary hero You've got his company of knights, potentially his entire court, depending on the legend. You've got a mysterious location that's only found by accident. And you've got a nation that needs the return of their king. What you need to add now is some kind of lowly fellow who stumbles across him and tries to wake him. Now, if you believe the legends, this entire formula that I've just outlined can be applied to King Arthur. And he allegedly lies sleeping with all of his court in Avalon and he's awaiting Britain's darkest hour when he'll wake up and lend the nation his aid. Now, Avalon's location changes depending on the stories, but the concept largely remains the same. And if you go to my blog post about this episode at com forward slash king hyphen Arthur, apologies that's such a mouthful, you'll see a painting by Sir Edward Byrne-Jones, one of the Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood, who painted The Last Sleep of Arthur in Avalon. Alternatively, you could just Google that, but anyway. That was actually put on display, and I think it was about 2008, and Fiona McCarthy of the Guardian wrote about it, and she noted the pre-Raphaelite fascination with King Arthur, and she thought it rested on his chivalry and moral fervour. And if you set that against the Victorian backdrop, it's not hard to see the appeal. So what you've got to remember is this is an age of rapid change, and technology and the industrial revolution and mass urbanization and all of these things that basically we take for granted the fruits of them but obviously there's also the rampant social inequality, horrendous mortality rates and all that kind of thing as well. So you can see why Burne jones would love the Arthurian legend by comparison and it's also clear why based on this horrendous backdrop of the Victorian era people would hope that Arthur was still sleeping in Avalon waiting to return now this idea of the returning king is as i say an old story and it's based on a common trope in short in case you haven't got time to listen to the king in the mountain episode it basically concerns the idea of a king or hero who's sleeping in some secret location and he's waiting for the day when he's called to come forth and save the day in some versions of the myth he'll only return when his people need him now king arthur surprisingly often appears in such stories despite the fact that historical evidence of his existence is sketchy at best. Now if you are interested in the archaeological evidence of Arthur or lack thereof I would recommend Francis Pryor's Britain AD A Quest for Arthur, England and the Anglo-Saxons. Quite a marvellous book. Although you could argue considering the UK has faced many dire situations over the centuries as far as I know King Arthur has never made an appearance but there we go. Now the whole point of this particular episode is I want to talk about King Arthur and Sewing Shield's castle. If you've never heard of it it's in Northumberland and some scholars actually believe it's a candidate for the true location of Camelot and in this version Camelot is basically in Northumberland so he's not sleeping in Avalon he's in Camelot and according to this legend his entire court is sleeping in a chamber below the castle waiting to be woken. And one tale concerns a shepherd who tried to do exactly that. So while tending to his sheep one day, one of the sheep wandered off as they want to do. So the shepherd hurried after it. And in the process of bringing it back, he stumbles across a hidden entrance among the ruins. It's been ruined for quite some time. And being the curious sort, he descended into the darkness. Now, whether he'd heard stories about King Arthur or whether he just wondered where the ruins went, I don't know. But either way, he ended up finding a passageway that led right into the hillside. He follows this and eventually he comes out in this huge hall lit by a fire of pure white flames. People are sleeping on cushions on the floor and other ones are upright in chairs. Two figures in particular caught his attention. They're both sitting on thrones and the man and the woman are both wearing crowns. At this point, the shepherd definitely kicks in with the idea of the local tales and works out who they are. Must be King Arthur and Queen Guinevere. So he goes over to the royal couple. And there's a table in front of them. On one side lies a sword and a garter. On the other side, a hunting horn. Naturally, the shepherd guessed the sword was Excalibur, because what else would it be? And he realises this is going to be worth quite a lot of money. So he decides to take it. So he pulls Excalibur from its scabbard. And at this point, the king stirs. He even sits upright and opens his eyes. The shepherd obviously thinks, I'm going to get caught red-handed here. So drops the sword and in the process, the blade slices clean through the garter, and the rest of the night stir. They yawn and stretch, probably a bit sore after centuries of sleep. By this point, the pure shepherd's absolutely terrified beyond belief, so he then slides Excalibur back into its scabbard. He flees from the chamber, no doubt terrified for his life, but a voice follows him. Oh, woe betide the evil day on which this witless white was born, who drew the sword the garter cut, but never blew the bugle horn. So the shepherd gets back to his flock and tries to forget about this particularly weird excursion beneath the hills. So, of course, while he's just going about his business and doing his job and everything, obviously, shortly after all this happens, he starts thinking about what he's seen. And he can't forget what he saw under the hillside. He can't forget the voice that he heard. And he can't forget the words either. And he starts thinking, you know, there are all these tales that promised that King Arthur was going to save the nation and usher in this new age of happiness and prosperity. And then he realises he now knows how to wake the king. So he then tries to find the entrance to make a second attempt. Sad thing is, he never finds the entrance again. And as far as anyone knows, neither has anyone else. So at this point, you then think, well, he's obviously told somebody and... Past the story on there is an alternative version in the denim tracks and in this one the shepherd's actually a farmer and he's sitting knitting on a hillside and his ball of yarn actually rolls away from him and when he follows it it kind of drops down this hole into the into the tunnel and then he follows that and ends up in the hillside and the rest of the story is exactly the same as the, the shepherd's version however at the end of it the farmer loses all memory of where he was when the story happened, so while he could remember what happened, he couldn't remember where and therefore couldn't find the entrance again. And in later years, the wife of a local landowner actually dreamed of treasure within the ruins, and she actually hired workmen to search for it, although, again, no treasure ever actually emerged. Now, at this point, you might be wondering, is the story likely to be true? And obviously, let's be honest, let's get this bit out of the way to start with. Biologically, it's unlikely that people could survive for so many centuries without any form of sustenance and to be honest with you I mean sleeps good for you but that much sleep probably not going to do you a world of good so in terms of legend who knows obviously anything's possible where folklore is concerned but the thing that makes this an interesting one is that there are definitely links between tales of Arthur and Northumberland and one of the legends of his battles actually places them in the forests beyond Hadrian's wall and in another one a battle takes place in the City of the Legions, which could basically be York, Chester or even Carlisle at that point. So it doesn't really take too much of a stretch of the imagination to actually move him to Northumberland. And Rupert Matthews even makes a point that most scholars place Arthur at around about 500 AD. And his name doesn't actually appear in any contemporary records. He makes a point that at that point in time, few names did appear in the records and they largely discussed events rather than people. Obviously, some candidates do also emerge as possible versions of King Arthur, but it's also unlikely that any of them derive their mandate to rule from the sword and the stone. So while many people do claim Arthur for their own, and they like to move Avalon or Camelot to Cornwall or Wales or wherever else he's linked with, unless he returns, we'll never actually be able to ask him. So what I want to know is, do you think that King Arthur sleeps away the centuries? Do you think he sleeps away the centuries under sewing shield's castle and if the answer is yes do you think it will be possible to wake him and seek his help and indeed should we if you've got answers to any of those questions or you'd just like to leave me a comment about king arthur and what your favorite of his legends is then please feel free to head over to the blog post the link will be below and it is is icedruid.com/king-arthur. And I'd love to know what you think, actually. And I think these stories are absolutely fascinating. And one side issue that I forgot to put in is Sewing Shields Castle might possibly be a mishearing of its actual name because Sir Walter Scott talks about it and he refers to it as the Castle of Seven Shields. So that's quite an interesting idea that there's actually a a knightly presence associated with it anyway. So who knows? Next week, we're going to have a look at a real-life, english and i say hero in inverted commas because it's sir francis drake so we'll get a little bit into his legend why he's a king in the mountain figure although he's obviously not a king and he's apparently not in a mountain but there you go it's a similar story type we'll have a look at that next week so there you go so i hope you enjoyed the show if you did please leave me a comment and all that jazz and i'll see you next week cheerio thank you for listening to this week's episode i hope that you enjoyed it If you did, feel free to subscribe using whichever podcast app it is that you prefer. If you do use iTunes, if you could leave me a review, that would be fab. Basically, it just means iTunes are more likely to recommend this to other people. And if you're interested in more folklore, please feel free to swing by my blog, which is www.icsedgwick.com, and that's Sedgwick spelled S-E-D-G-W-I-C-K. And you can find all of the links, images, and other bits and pieces that hopefully you enjoy. So have an absolutely five week ahead and I'll see you soon. Cheerio.